אוהבים זה מוישה, המשובח שממלוכים זה דובי, אטומוי ציקור למה, המשובח בנביאים זה מוישה, המשובח שבמלוכים זה דוד, אטומאית זה כל מה שיעשו Okay, good evening everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, tonight is very special. We are starting our 10th round of Parsha in my life. Uh, this is going to be the 10th year. And 10 is very special. Asiriya Kodesh, the 10th is holy. So I'm excited. I hope this will be a really, really, really special year of great insight and learning and remember, I'd like now to remind everyone a couple of things. Number one, the classes are here every Monday night at Mayon. There's a certain energy in participating in them live, even though I know so many of you listen in the very, all the different uh, ways of listening to this class online and so forth. But uh, there's something special about being here. So I'd like to invite everyone for the 10th year of Parsha in my life, beginning tonight and continuing every Monday night uh, at 8 o'clock at Mayon. Um, another thing is just to note, if you want access to these classes, all these classes are on our website at mayon, spelled M-A-A-Y-O-N.com. You can also download, you can watch them on, as a podcast, or listen to them as a podcast. Uh, if you put in Mayon, Yis- mayon Yisrael podcast, Parshan in My Life, you can subscribe to the podcast and listen that way. Another avenue to listen to these classes is on our special Mayon app. That's really, really a tremendous resource. It's a free app, both for iPhone and for Samsung. All you need to do for the Android is go to your Play Store or whatever it is, your Apple Store, Download the Mayon app, M-A-A-Y-O-N. And then you can scroll and listen to all the classes that we have. So that's a... (laughs) That's very, very special. What brings you? So the Mayon app, very, 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 very special way to listen to the classes. And... We started Facebook Live, so you can watch the classes on Facebook. So these are all the various different ways to connect to the Mayan class. Tonight's shir was dedicated by um, Ezi and Malka Rappaport from Florida. This is in honor of their son, Menachem Mendel's Upsharon. 
May you have lots and lots and lots of wonderful, wonderful Yiddish nachas from him. May he give you, may you and your wife raise him in good health. Continue to raise him. And may he bring you much pride and happiness. Mazel tov and mazel tov and mazel tov. Tonight's class is about chinuch, so it's very appropriate connection. Um, another dedication tonight was by Mrs. Miriam Fishman, and this is in honor of her father's yard site that is tonight, the 27th of Tishrei. Tuvia Velvel ben Mayor Olavashala, may his neshama have the greatest aliyah, and may he channel lots of brachas to you and to your family, Mrs. Fishman, for all that you want, all that you need. Begash Miyas thank you. And one more dedication, this was on the CD this week. The CD this week was sponsored by our dear friend Shai Benalulu. And this is in honor for, for brachas for his children and for the Jewish people and for only, only good for everybody. Thank you. Uh, to sponsor a class, a CD or any of that, please, you can always notify the office. All right, this week, as I mentioned, we're starting round number 10. On, on Parsha in my life. It's Parsha's Noach, so Bereshus we missed because it was, we went straight into Parsha's Bereshus, but this week is Parsha's Noach. So right in the beginning when we start talking about Noach, the Torah says that Noach, the Torah gives heaps great praise for Noach. That Noach was a ish tzaddik, Tomim hoya he was a complete tzaddik. He was a, a wonderful, special, righteous person. But yet, the Torah adds one word, Tzadik haya b'dayraisav, that he was a tzadik in his generations. And that extra word in his generations sparked the sages to think, what is the verse, what is the Pasuk adding with this extra word in his generations? So Rashi immediately comments that there are those who see the word in generation, generations, b'dayraisav, to minimize the praise. And that is that only in his generations he was a tzaddik. But had he lived in other generations where there were other great tzaddikim, he wouldn't be that much. That's, some people say that about, about Noah, some of our rabbis. Others learned the word bidorosav as a complimentary word. It's actually meant to increase the compliments of Noah. That even in such a corrupt generation, where it was so difficult to maintain one's morality and the like, Noah was a tzaddik. So what does that tell you? So that, now that's a praise. That's an increased praise for Noah. That even in, had he been in other, had he been amongst other generations, he would have been a much a far greater tzaddik. So that is Rashi's, uh, that, 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 that's what the word bidaros, is an argument about it. Now, according to the first opinion that Rashi brings from our rabbis, that the word Bidarosov comes to minimize the praise, that he was a tzaddik only in his generations, this statement is brought in many Mamara Chazal, meaning the sages in various different places, places all say this idea, but in each place it's worded differently. And the comparison of who we are comparing Noah to in order to minimize the praise is different in the various different midrashic sources. So what we're going to do is let's, do an, uh, uh, let's analyze that. In the Gemara, Masech Sanhedrin, I think Dav Kuvav or something, the Gemara 
mentions this statement that Noah was only a tzaddik in his generations, but the Gemara says it as a blanket statement. But in other generations, I think he wouldn't be worthy. He wouldn't be considered as anything special. So again, the Gemara says, compared to all generations. Medrash Tanchuma says, compared to Avram Avinu, Bedoiroi shall Avram, singles out Avram, that Bedorosov means in his generation. But in the generations of Avram, he wouldn't be, he, the words of the Medrash Tachuma, he wouldn't find his hands and feet, meaning he wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be of anything significant. Okay? That's the Medrash Tanchuma. Rashi kind of, in his, is his commentary, is following the Medrash Tanchuma because Rashi draws the comparison between Noah and Avram. Okay, specifically. The Midrash Rabbah, which is another form of Midrash, the Midrash Rabbah says that Bidorosov in his generation, but if he would be in the generations of Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, and Shmuel, Shmuel Hanavi, then Loi he wouldn't be considered a tzaddik. So we're comparing him to Moshe and Shmuel. Finally, the Zohar comes, and the Zohar says that Noah was a Noah was a tzaddik bidorosav. However, Aval, the Zohar says, bidoro shall Avram in the generation of Avram, bidoro shall Moshe in the generation of Moshe, u bidoro shall David, and in the generation of King David, loyhoya nechshav leklum, or his 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 avoda, his service was not worth anything. I'm exactly the words of the Zohar are. Um, but in other generations, he isn't considered anything. The generation of Avram, the generation of Moshe, the David, and the generation of David. So here we have various different comparisons. So now, the Gemara that says, in his generation, but in all other generations, he wouldn't be considered as a great man. I mean, we can understand that's the general word, in his generation, only in his generation, but nowhere else. Fine. So the Gemara makes sense. The comparing him to Tanchuma, the Medrash Tanchuma, where the Medrash compares him to Avram's generation specifically, also makes sense. Why the comparison to Avram makes sense? Because Avram is the next tzaddik that the Torah speaks about. So Avram is like the next generation. Even though Avram, the, the Mishnah says in Perkei is ten generations later. But yet, the Torah is not talking about any tzaddikim in those generations, even though there was shame and aver, but there wasn't much talk about it. The next great tzaddik that the Torah addresses is Avram. So it makes sense that when we're drawing the comparison between, and we're minimizing, the Torah says in his generation, the Torah is referring to someone that you would be thinking about. And who would you be thinking about? The one that's up next. And that is Avra. Good. So that makes sense. Now, the Medrash Rabbah. That the Medrash Rabbah does a comparison between Noach and Moshe and Shmuel Anavi. That also makes sense why we pick those tzaddikim. Because what the Medrash Rabbah is trying to do is to minimize the criticism. You see, if we say that He's not a tzaddik compared to Moshe Rabbeinu. Well, that's not much of a criticism. I mean, who's expecting to be like Moshe? In the words of the Rambam, Moshe is mivchar, mivchar min hanushi. He is the most, 
he is the greatest human being ever to live. So if we say, compared to Moshe, he's not a tzaddik, okay, he can still pretty much be a big tzaddik and still not be considered anything compared to Moshe. And the same is also Shmuel Anavi, because the sages tell us, Moshe va'aram b'kahana v'shmuel b'kore shemo, that Shmuel is equal. In his righteousness, Shmuel was equal to Moshe and Aaron together. So here we're talking about another ginormous tzaddik, Shmuel. So we can say that that's what the Torah means to say, Bidorosav, that even though we're going to sing the praises of Noah, realize that compared to Moshe and to Shmuel, he's not such a great tzaddik. Fine. So we can understand the Medrash is choosing these people because like this, we're minimizing the criticism and we're still leaving pretty much of a tzaddik out of Noah. The Zohar, however, needs some explanation. Why is the Zohar picking these three tzaddikim? Avram, Moshe, and David. Why, why these three? What, what, is, what is, I mean, of course, these are all also very big tzaddikim. But what's the reason that these three particular tzaddikim are chosen to compare Noah to them? Now, the Arma Farshim, let's say, the Farshim on the Zohar, let's say that the reason we compare them to these tzaddikim is to something particular about Noah's behavior that was different by these tzaddikim. And that is that the other tzaddikim prayed for their generation. Avram Avinu, when his generation was in trouble, the five cities were in trouble, he took a stand and he pleaded and he did whatever he can. He didn't prevail, but he did whatever he can to save the wicked of his generation. Moshe Rabbeinu did whatever he can. Moshe put his life on his line and he did prevail to save the Jewish people even when we did horrible sin. Okay? King David, David HaMelech, also prayed for his enemies. Like we find in Tehillim, various different psukim, where David HaMelech is praying for his enemies. Noah didn't do any of that. He didn't pray for the people of the generation. He was happy to save himself. That's the criticism. That's what some of Farshim want to say. The problem is that that kind of, that comparison of Noah to other tzaddikim who prayed for their generation, he didn't, the Zohar does that in a few places. The Zohar actually blames the entire flood on Noah. It says that the reason why the flood is called May Noah, there's a Pasuk, I think it's in the Haftorah that we read in Parshas Noah, Ki May Noah Hu Zosli, or Hili, this is the waters of Noah. Why is it called the waters of Noah? Because it's Noah's fault. He didn't pray, he didn't pray for, his, for his generation. However, in those few places where the Zohar does speak about those who prayed for the generation and those who didn't, the Zohar is comparing Noah only to Avram and to Moshe, not to David. And simply the simple reason could be because we don't really find in David HaMelech, even though in certain cases he's praying for his enemies, but we don't find in general that he's standing up for the Jewish people to save them from a gezerah that was, would, would be full goes out for war and so forth. So therefore, this, this, this explanation falls short. So what we are trying to find, why when we're doing a comparison between Noah and other tzaddikim, the Zohar in particularly is listing Avram, Moshe, and David. And the reason for that is, there's something really, really important over here. And that is that Avram, Moshe, and David are all three people that brought about the realization and the purpose of creation more than any other generation. 
They furthered the world, the purpose and the reason for why the world was created. There are many, many tzaddikim throughout all of history. But it's these primary three tzaddikim that moved the world into the next stage. And it is for that reason that we're saying like this, Noah might be a very, very great person, he might be a very great tzaddik, but he did not have that, he, did, he didn't accomplish with all of his, and he maybe, as we're gonna see soon, he maybe brought a progression to the creation, but his progression is insignificant in comparison to the progression of these three people. What is so unique about Avram, Moshe, and David in regards to the world's progression? So the, the idea is as follows. When God created the world, Hashem created the world for the sake of, Rashi says it right at the beginning of the Torah, Bereshis, why is it called Bereshis? Bishvil HaTorah, Bishvil Yisrael, two things that are called Bereshis. God created the world for the sake of the Jewish people, and God created the world for the sake of the Torah. The Jewish people and the Torah, that's Avram and Moshe. Avram Avinu is the first Jew. He realizes the Jewish people in this world. So obviously Avram Avinu is helping the world realize the purpose for why the world was created by introducing the Jew into the world. Moshe Rabbeinu has a whole list of accomplishments. Very, very great things, but yet his greatest accomplishment of all is he brought the Torah to the world. So, being that the world was created for the sake of the Jewish people and for the sake of the Torah, the fact that Moshe brings the Torah to the world, that's the next phase in the world realizing its purpose for why it was created. But what's David HaMelech? What is the greatness of David HaMelech in terms of world progression? The greatness of King David is that he introduces the idea of a divine kingdom. He introduces Malchus to the Jewish people, and in his result of Malchus and Malchus Beis David, it really means the Malchus, the kingship of God, the divine king kingdom in this world. And why is that the progression of the world? Because you can have the Torah and we can have the Jewish people. But the Torah and the Jewish people's influence on the world is when Torah and the Jewish people have a dominant appearance and a dominant position in this world. And the dominant position of Torah and Israel and the Jewish people in the world is when we have a Jewish kingdom. It's when there is a Melech, Yisrael, then the Jewish people stand firm, strong, and powerful within this creation. And the Torah has dominion over the world. And as a result of that, the world therefore is being most influenced by the purpose for why it was created for by Torah and by, the, and by the Jewish people. In other words, without Malchus, without a kingship, then there is Torah studied in this world and there are Jewish people hanging out in the planet somewhere in this world, but it's not influencing. It doesn't have the influence. It doesn't have a global influence. The global influence of Torah and Israel in this world is primarily through the Malchus of David, which begins with David HaMelech and reaches its ultimate realization with Mashiach Tzedkenu, who is also called David. Ben David, the child of David. So it's King David, that's the idea of, of Mashiach. The realization of God's kingship. That's why we find an interesting thing, 
this is man's accomplishment or this is man's job in this world to bring the world when Hashem created Adam Hashem created man to perfect the world it even says right at the beginning of creation it says and Rashi makes a comment that God created God completed all that he did we say it in Kiddush that the Abishter that Hashem created lassos to do Rashi says the word lassos means lesakein Lesakin means to fix, to correct. The world needs a correction. The world is created in an imperfect state, and man has to perfect the world. That's Adam. Now, who were the men who realized the job of man? Adam, I'm sorry, who's the, who is the man who realized the job of Adam, which is man? Avram, Moshe, and David. That's why the word Adam is the acronym Let's look at the word Adam. Adam has an Aleph, a Dalit, and a Mem. That's a- Aleph is for Avram, Dalit is for David HaMelech, and Mem is for Moshe. Most of the times in this class, I mentioned this many times, I told you it's Adam, David, Moshiach. That's what it says in many Svarim. Adam, David, Moshiach, the progression of man. But there is also in Svarim the idea, Avram, David, and Moshe. They realize man's job in this world. Because Adam himself fell through. God created Adam to do the job. Adam succumbed to the temptation. And he fell and he, and he with him collapsed the entire human race for a few thousand years. Now what's an interesting thing is that Noah saved the planet. Noah, in a sense, when Noah came out, because the entire world was destroyed. The old corrupted human that wasn't going anywhere, was only becoming more and more and more corrupted, was wiped off the earth. Noah is now regenerating the world, as the Medrash says, the Medrash says, interesting, Medrash Rabbah. The Medrash says, Noah ra olam chadash. Noah saw a new world. So in a sense, Noah is like the father of all of mankind. We refer to all the people in the world as B'nai Noach. So Noach is so much, if we can say, a second chance to humanity. And it's beginning with Noach. So Noach is the Adam. Adam here a second time. Okay, I'm not saying an incarnation, but the idea of Adam getting a second chance. And Noach did do a wonderful job. Noah did progress the world because the descendants of Noah are way better and on a much higher state and far more civilized than what was going on before. So of course there was a progression. And there was a progression in, all, in, in the realization of the world's purpose as we're soon going to see. But yet Noah failed. He, he's not the ultimate realizer because the true realization of the human, of the human, of the human being, is Dafka with Avram, David, and Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, to take that a step deeper, if we're saying that Noah is less than those three generations, but we're comparing him, we have to say that Noah had within himself he he contributed or his, his service included. The, the accomplishments of these three generations. He did have, as we're soon going to see, various components in his service 
that represented the achievement and the idea of Avram, of Moshe, and of David HaMelech. However, it was all considered amateur stuff. It was all considered just like practice. It wasn't the real thing. So in order to understand this, let's analyze those three generations. Those three tzaddikim and their generations. But one more thing before we go there, I just want to mention, is here you can see the Zohar is very different than all the other, than all the other Midrashim. All the other Midrashim are questioning the righteousness of Noah as a person. How good was he? Was he really so good? Eh. Compared to a bunch of wicked people, he's good. But put him in other generations, he wouldn't add up to much. The Zohar is not referring to if Noah would be in other generations. Noah was a great man without any question. And he accomplished great things. But in our generation today, post-Avram, post-Moshe, post-David HaMelech, if we serve God in the Noah service, as we're going to see soon, we're not really accomplishing much. Because we can do much greater things because of Avram, David, and Moshe. And we need to fine-tune our service. We need to... We, we need to our... Our accomplishments, our avodas Hashem, whatever it is that we're doing in this world, needs to be upgraded to the Avram, Moshe, and David kind of service and not leave it in the Noah realm, as great as Noah was. So it's not a, the Zohar is not looking to criticize over here. The Zohar, is, the, Zohar is, the Zohar is giving us guidance on how we're supposed to serve Hashem today's days. Not in a Noah service, which, which the Zohar says, it's not considered anything, even though it was a basis and a foundation for everything that was going to happen later. So to understand this, let's for a moment analyze what were the contributions of these three people. So first of all, the idea is as follows. When God created the world, He created it hanging on a thread, which means Hashem created the world with the possibility for creation to completely disconnect from Him. For the creation to completely float away into just completely separate itself from its creator. And that's what happened. So Adam had a choice. Adam and Chava, they made that mistake. They severed the bond and the world went, went floating off into space, disconnecting further and further and further. And as the sages tell us, we've learned this many times, the famous Medrash that says, when First, the Shekhinah was down here in this world, the Divine Presence. And then all the seven generations that sinned kept on chasing the Divine Presence away farther and farther and farther and farther until God was chased even away from the seventh heaven, or at least remained in the seventh heaven as far as possible from the world. The first thing that needed to be established is that someone needed to establish communication with the Creator. Someone need to establish some kind of a bond, a relationship. That the creator and the creation are connected to each other. They're communicating. Who did that? That's Avram Avinu. Why? The sages, when they speak about Avram, they say, Echad haya Avram. Avram was number one, the one man. And not only are we talking about establishing a creation, but uh, uh, I'm sorry, a communication, but establishing a communication and a connection when the natural order or when, when, the, when the general flow is moving in the opposite direction. Uh, direction. 
When everything in the world is pushing in the other direction, where all where the world is becoming farther and farther from its source, from its creator, where the world is rebelling, where the world is ignoring its God and acting totally antithetical for the way Hashem wanted the world to behave, right? And Avram Avinu, the greatness of Avram Avinu was that he can stand up alone. The Tapasuk in Yechaskel where it says, Echad Hoya Avram, Avram was alone. And, 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 and the Medrash says the reason why Avram is called Avram Ivri, the man Ivri means from the other side, is because the rest of the world was on one side. Kala Oilam was on, the whole world was on one side, and Avram Avinu was standing alone on the other side. And now, that is the idea of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are a nation here in this world, notwithstanding the fact that there are 70 nations. There is an entire world that isn't necessarily seeking to live in accordance with, to live in, a, in connection to Hashem. The Jewish people are a people devoted and dedicated to the fulfillment of what God desires, what the Eberster wants. A nation connected to Hashem. So that's the Chiddush of Avram Avinu. He establishes, he's, he's establishing that connection and, and he is standing alone and with all the pressures coming from all sides, he doesn't budge. And he creates a people that for thousands of years, we the Jewish people face every kind of force every kind of power that is seeking to disconnect, to separate us, both various, all kinds of, all, all kinds of things are thrown at us to stop the Jewish people from being in their connection to the Eberster, being in connection to God, and yet the Jewish people prevail. So that's the first establishment, a people connected to Hashem, Avram Avinu, Yisrael, a godly people in this world. That's stage number one. But then comes phase number two. What's phase number two? The Torah is given to the world. What is the accomplishment of the Torah? The accomplishment of the Torah is not that just now the Jewish people have a way in which they can intensify their bond to their Creator. Of course that's true. Through the Torah and the mitzvahs, we intensify, we increase our communication, our connection to God. But the greatness of the Torah, one of the accomplishments of the Torah, and at least as it relates to the world, is that the Torah influences the rest of the creation as well. And what do we mean it influences? The Torah is a stabilizer for the world. The Torah stabilizes the creation. The Gemara says in Masech Shabbos, that when the world was created, from, from the beginning of creation until the Jewish people received the Torah, the world was very, very weak. The world was shaking. The world was scared. There was this, 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 this discomfort in creation, a nervousness. There was this cosmic tension and a nervousness, like jello. The world was like shaking. Until when Hashem gave them waiting, because the Jews would accept the Torah. When Yidin accepted the Torah, the world shakata, the world calmed down. Creation solidified. It's like, you know, the screws were tightened. Now it became firm and it became strong. Meaning to say, it's not about ignoring the world and being a connector to God. 
anymore like it was. To withstand all the pressures coming from all directions and to re refrain, to re not, not to be influenced by it, but to remain a people believing in one God, that was Avram Avinu. That's what it means to be Jewish. Stubbornly Jewish. A people willing to die, al Kiddush Hashem, to be in connection to Hashem. That's, Ju that's Judaism. That's being a Yid. That's being a Jew. The greatness, the greatness, the accomplishment of, of, of the Torah is not despite the world we are holy, we're connected to Hashem, but that the greatness of the Torah is that it brings about a, 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 a chizuk, it brings a strengthening, an empowerment, a, 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 a it elevates, it's, it's strengthening the creation to be, to, be, to be strong in the sense that what? What do I mean by that? You see, in order for us, the, the Jewish people, to learn Torah and to do mitzvahs, it requires a world to support that. Which means that you can't, and obviously, you know, in order for us to... to, 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 to you, you need all of plant life. You need the domain, you need the inanimate, you need the tzomeach, you need the plant, you need the chai, you need the animals, and you need all the human beings. For in, within this setting, like we see all of Torah and mitzvahs, involves some aspect of either the human, the animal, the plant, or the inanimate. So all this is required for, the, for us to be able to keep the Torah and do the mitzvahs. So what we're really doing is we're giving a justification a deeper justification for the world to exist. It's not just that, okay, God created a creation, and then there are some people within this world that are connecting to Him. That's true. But now the rest of the creation is justified. In what sense is it justified? It is supporting Torah via Israel, Yidn and the Torah. So that gives a chizuk, that that, that gives a stability into the rest of the creation. And that's what the Torah did in terms of the world, in terms of all of the world. And that's done through Moshe Rabbeinu. Finally, we come to David HaMelech. What is the accomplishment of Malchus? Malchus takes it to a much deeper state. Not only do you have a world that is supportive, that is necessary as a backdrop that is necessary, that needs to be in order for the Yidin, for the Jewish people to be able to do Torah and to do mitzvahs. But once there is a Jewish malchus, a kingdom in this world, what does that mean? That all of the creation, the identity, the identity of the creation now changes. Because this entire world becomes God's empire. It becomes Hashem's kingdom, through which God expresses His malchus, through this world. What do we mean by that? When David HaMelech became king, so the first thing what happened is he completed the conquest of Eretz Yisrael, the land of the seven nations. What that really means, that's a beginning, what that really means is that David HaMelech now conquered humanity. Even though he only conquered the seven, seven nations, but the seven nations are a tenth of humanity, because there are 70 nations. And we also know spiritually the root 
of the 70 nations are in the seven nations that lived in the land of Israel, spiritually. So when King David, when David Amalek conquered the land of the, the, the seven nations and made Eretz Yisrael a holy land, a godly land, establishing God's kingdom in Eretz Yisrael, he's already establishing Hashem as the king over the world. So now, the rest of the creation, humans, animals, and so on and so forth, are not just props that are necessary for the Jewish people to learn Torah and to do mitzvahs. There's something much deeper over here. There's the Ebershtus Malchus. Vahoya Hashem Lamelech al Kolaretz. God is going to be a king over the entire world. Now David Amelech didn't complete the didn't real didn't didn't complete it. It was to a Shlomo Amelech had already his Malchus extended globally, as the Gemara as the as the as it says in the in the Psukim in Malachim, it says that all kings across the world and all the nations came and brought him gifts. Knows they recognize his kingdom, but the ultimate realization of this is going to be the realization through Mashiach Tzadkenu. Or what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. All of mankind, all of mankind, as the Pasuk describes, um, that, 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 uh, when the third base Hamidrash is going to be built up, and by the way, Cheshven is coming, and it says that the third base Hamidrash is going to be built in the month of Cheshven. May it be this Cheshven already. So in, in, it says that when, when the third base of Minish is going to stand, all the nations, 8 billion people in this planet, are going to flock to the land of Israel to come, from Tzion will issue forth Torah, and all of creation will be in a state of submission to God and to what Hashem wants, and they will all see themselves as subjects of Hashem. Not only that, it will even extend the presence, the consciousness of godliness, of Hashem, will be so felt in the world that it will even permeate the animal kingdom. As it says, They will not do any damage. They will not cause, they won't, they won't uh, animals, as the Pasuk continues to describe, how the animals won't, will, will not act in a predatory manner anymore. They'll all live in peace and harmony with each other. All the animals. Let's understand why. It's not some kind of a miracle. It's not some kind of a magic. It's simply one thing. It's that God's, the consciousness of God is going to be felt so strong, it's going to trickle down even into animals, that animals will not see anymore the world as a jungle where you do whatever you want, where you eat, where you grab, where you take whatever you want just because it's available. They're scared. There is a ruler. There is a God. And the animal feels that. That's how... Now, so what are we talking about over here? If all the nations of the world... It's a major elevation over the giving of the Torah. The giving of the Torah justified... The existence of Australia, it justified the existence of Brazil, of France, of Russia, of all these various different countries, because you need these things in order to be able to do mitzvahs. Like we know, tzitzis, the wool comes from this country, and that comes from that country, and so many other resources that we use for mitzvahs are used through the materials that come from the various different peoples across the world. So all of it is needed as kind of a support team that needs to support those who want to connect to God. Fine, that's one thing. But then it's much deeper than that. That they themselves, 
and all of creation become godly aware and godly conscious and are living in a complete different state of an awareness to serve their creator. And it extends, as we said earlier, even down to the animal. That's David HaMelech. David HaMelech began to establish this in a small way, but from the seed of King David HaMelech planted. And, and, and I want to emphasize one more time, and we spoke about this last year in many classes, that King David's kingdom is not David HaMelech is king on behalf, or he is king as Hashem, as Hashem's appointee as being king. David HaMelech is not an appointed, is not only an appointed one to be king. David HaMelech is God being king through him. The Eberster himself, the Shechina, the Koyach of Malchus of God, invests itself in David HaMelech and through David and ultimately through Moshiach Tzedkenu. That's God being king over the world. And the whole world recognizing and willfully, joyfully serving their creator. And that's the ultimate purpose of all of creation. That God is fully present, fully adhered to, listened to, fully, the world is completely compliant to Hashem. Not forced. With, with, as a result of the great consciousness and recognition. These are three stages in the world moving towards its goal. Now we're going to see an amazing thing. This is where you can take a look at Noah, and we can see that Noah has the seeds of all these three things. Rabbi Yitzchak Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father, in one of his commentaries, he has commentaries on the Zohar. So he comments that the reason why the, 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 um, the uh, Zohar compares Noah to these three people, Avram, David, Avram, Moshe, and David, is because the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos, the Mishnah says there are three crowns. Three crowns. Keser Kahuna, Keser Malchus, and Keser Torah. Three crowns. So, the, the, so he says like this, these three people personify these three crowns. Avram Avinu, even though Avram is not a Kohen, but he was a Kohen. It says, in, we're going to see that Hashem tells Avram Avinu, Atta Kohen La'olam, you're the Kohen. The, Kohen. the Kahuna was taken away from shame and it was given to Avram. Avram is the Kohen. And spiritually too, we spoke about this many times, Kohanim are the energy of kindness. And Avram Avinu was the ultimate Isha Chesed, the man of kindness. So Avram is Keser Kahuna. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, if there's anybody that's wearing the crown of Torah, it's Moshe Rabbeinu, he's the crown of Torah. David HaMelech, he's the crown of Malchus, the crown of kingship. The three crowns. What is Noach? Noach, he says, is it says there is a Keser, there's another crown called Keser Shem Tov, a crown of a good name. And Noach had a very good name. Everybody said he's a great man. Everybody said, Noach, he's a real mensch. He's a real good guy. So he had a good name. But he didn't have these crowns. Now, even though the, the, in Pirkei Yavis it says, Keser Shem Tov, Ola Al Gabehem, that the Keser of a good name rises above the other crowns, that means essentially this crown is lower. But if you have the other three crowns, then the crown of a good name goes on top of it. But essentially the crown of Keser Shem Tov is a lower crown. Now, it makes sense, this idea fits perfectly with what we said before. Because when we spoke about Avram Avinu, 
And we said, what's the idea of, what is Avram Avinu? What's the idea of Avram? Avram Avinu is the first stage in humanity realizing its goal. Because Avram Avinu, as we said earlier, establishes a people that are a godly people in this world. Connected to Hashem. Well, that's what Kohanim are. What are Kohanim? Translated in English. Kohanim are priests, clergymen. There's people, the rest of the world are busy with all the other stuff, with all the material pursuits. Clergymen, priests, that's, that are dedicated to a higher service, to be connection to Hashem. That's Kohanim. And Rashi says that, that and Rambam says, that, that uh, actually the Pasuk, the Pasuk says that the greatness of Kohanim is that Lamod Lifnei Hashem, they stand in front of God, sure so to serve Him. These are people that are not impacted by, the, by, the, by all, the, all the other distractions of time, and they stay focused on serving Hashem. And Rambam says that all the Jewish people have that quality. First of all, the Jewish people are called Mamleches Kohanim, a nation of, 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 of kings, of, of Kohanim. So that's Yisrael. Yisrael is Kohuna, Keser Kohuna, that's the Jewish people. Then there is Keser Torah, as we said before, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. Then there's Keser Malchus, the crown of kingship. Now Noach, in a sense, if you take a look at Noach's service, you see that Noach incorporates all these three elements. Let's go over what those elements are. Number one, being not caving into pressure, but standing firmly for your own thing, okay? That's number one. Number two, stabilizing the world. Number three, elevating the world. Lifting the world up beyond its, beyond its current state and connecting it to something higher. We find that Noah accomplishes all these three things. Talk about notwithstanding, not falling for pressure, not caving in for pressure. Well, that's the whole story of Noah. The whole world was against him. To the point that everybody, the entire world was corrupt. God says, I'm, mankind is corrupt, I'm going to destroy all the people besides you. And we also find that the people wanted to kill him for making the teva. And Noah wasn't, and he stood, and he didn't, and he, 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 and he remained strong for what it was. So Noah did, he did what he needed to do. If, if you needed someone who's maintaining, so to speak, a connection to Hashem, and someone who is more, who is a, who is a more, he's a beacon of morality in the world, that's Noah, against everyone else. So in a sense, Noah has the Avram Avinu element of standing in one side and the whole world on the other side. Now let's take the next thing. Avram Avinu, we said Moshe Rabbeinu through the Torah brings stability to the world. Because the world now has a justification. The rest of the world, as opposed to Avram Avinu, creates a selected people in this world that are holy. Moshe Rabbeinu comes and brings that holiness and connects it to the rest of the world, that the rest of the world now is a support for this through Torah. Well, Noah does that as well. Did Noah not stabilize the world? Of course he stabilized the world. Without Noah, the whole world would have came to an end. Noah was the one who repopulated the world. He saved mankind. He saved humanity. Because of him, there is a world. So of course, it wasn't just about Noah being a great person for himself, but Noah added a stability to the rest of the creation. Even more so, we know that after the Mabel, Hashem made a covenant with Noah that he will never destroy the world. So obviously, Noah 
hammered some pretty strong nails into the world for the world to be stable. God promises and I will never destroy the world. And even more so, we know, so in a sense, the world is stronger after the mabel than it was before the mabel. And even added to that, we know that one of the things Hashem promised Noah is that the, that the four seasons will never stop. Because when the mabel came along, there was a disruption in the entire system of the galaxies. Everything came apart. And Hashem promised Noah that the world will run perfectly. There will never be a disruption. So obviously there is stabilization that Noah is doing. So he's doing, and it makes sense because Noah studied Torah. One of the things Rashi says Noah did in today's Chumash, it says that Noah studied Torah. Torah stabilizes the world. So you see, so Noah has that influence. Thirdly, what did we say before? What's the third accomplishment? The accomplishment of Malchus, in which all of creation is elevated to be part of the godly, of, of, a, of a godly, of a godly, um, Idea, the idea of God being a king requires a creation, the creation in all of its entirety. And how is and, and when Mashiach comes, we said before, all of creation is elevated to a higher consciousness. Well, did Noah accomplish that? Did he elevate all of the world to a higher consciousness and a higher awareness? Well, in some way, at least in his little teva, because. It, one of the things that is discussed, and the Ramban points it out, the Teva is a pretty small place. It was big, but it was very small compared to what had to fit into that Teva. And when you brought all the species and all the animals into the Teva, you got to beg the question, how in the world did they not, you know, the animals, okay, it says you should make rooms, but, you know, Noah has to open up the cages, he has to go in there. Animals are all over the place, dangerous animals, and yet these animals lived in peace and harmony. How did that happen? So it says an amazing thing happened in the Teva. The Teva itself was like you entered the days of Mashiach. In the Teva, in the Ark, the, what happened? The, the Ark was filled with Mashiach consciousness. So when the animals entered into the Ark, they were living in that Mashiach awareness that God is the all-powerful one. So notwithstanding the fact that the animal sees that there is lunch right next to him, two feet away is lunch, and right behind him is afternoon snack, the animal doesn't touch the lion or the tiger or whatever it is, did not reach for any of these things. They were in their best behavior. Why were in their best behavior? Because God is everywhere. They lived in the awareness of the Abishter. So you see, the Teva was an elevated life. Or Mashiach take a life. And it's not only in the Teva, but actually it was before they came into the Teva as well. Because you think about it, it wasn't only in the Teva. Because how did the animals get to the Teva? So the animals were divinely inspired. It says that the animals came themselves. And they had to come from all over the world. Zebras had to come from Africa, and, 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 and kangaroos had to come from Australia. I don't know from wherever the animals were, but they came from all over. How? They had a GPS, but there was no GPS. They had an intrinsic GPS to go exactly where the ark was. An unbelievable miracle. And the kosher animals came. The ones that were kosher, kosher, later would be permitted for us to eat, came seven by seven. The non-kosher ones came two peers by peers, and only those who didn't sin came. So something godly 
possessed these animals. And, and more than that, while they were lining up to wait to enter the table, think about that. There was a long line. So who was standing on that line? Some goats, some rabbits, wolves, lions, and, the, and, and whatever, were all lined up to enter into the table. Maybe some crocodiles as well. Yet everybody stood online quietly, and they entered one by one without attacking each other. That's an incredible miracle. So you see, that's, and, and what is it illustrating? Noah is elevating the creation. It's not the world we know. It's a higher world. It's the future world. It's a God, it's a divine kingdom digger world, if you can say. That, that's David Amalek. So you see that Noah has all these three things in, in the world. He is strong himself, he is a stabilizer, and he is an elevator of creation. Yet, what do we say about him? Eh, it's not the real deal. Not the real deal. He wouldn't be considered at all. The reason is, because as I mentioned earlier in the class, it was all a practice run. It wasn't it wasn't really happening. It was all just a matter of education. If you look at the word Noach, the word Noach within him has the root of the word Chinuch. Nun Ches is at the root of the word Chinuch. Noach, his, his entire identity was he, was, he was the Chinuch, the education. And when you see when we're all children, there is a period in our life in which we have a Chinuch period. And what's chinuch? The education time. We're not obligated in mitzvahs, but we do the mitzvahs anyways. Our parents are obligated to teach us how to do the mitzvahs just as a way of education. So now let's analyze for a moment the chinuch stage and try to compare the chinuch mitzvahs to the mitzvahs that we do as adults. What's the difference between the two performances of mitzvahs? The outwardly performance is exactly the same. Because what is done, especially according to many Rishon and the Ritva and the Ran, say explicitly that you should not jeopardize, you should not compromise. When children are doing mitzvahs, do not give your child a lemon to shake the lulav. Maybe if he's three years old, you could do that because he's going to ruin it in a day. But a child that's eight, nine and wants to do the mitzvah of lulav, give him a real esrog. Give him a kosher one. The mitzvah should be done with the same way an adult does the mitzvah. So the external observance of the mitzvah isn't any different. The shofar, the eating of a matzah, you're not going to give your child a chametz tegel matzah just to practice. Your child is going to eat a real matzah, hear the real shofar, and, and shake a real lulav and an esrit. And children before their bar mitzvah, even though they don't put on tefillin, much before, because of a certain reason, because we realize that they will not be able to have the, the caution and the carefulness that you need to have when you're wearing tefillin. But most communities have a period of practice, whether it's a month, whether it's two months. And during those two months, they are really wearing tefillin. The same tefillin. It's not like you didn't put the Torah portions inside the tefillin, and then later, by the night of the mitzvah, you slip them in. It is the real tefillin. Yet... Yet, the content is missing. In what sense is the content missing? In a sense, we can probably say that the power in the mitzvah is really not happening. They're not commanded to do the mitzvah, so the, 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 the on and off button is, is turned to off. 
So even though the act is being done, but the godliness of it. Now, I'm not to minimize the, the, the doing of mitzvahs of children. Quite on the contrary, there are certain talks and certain places it says that the observance of children of mitzvahs is in some ways much deeper and much higher than the observance of adults. When they, but that's um, looking at it from a very, very high, deep Hasidic way of seeing it. I'm looking at it today from a more down-to-earth observation. From the more down-to-earth observation, their mitzvah is not called a mitzvah. What is the mitzvah of a child when a child is in the chinuch education state? Two things. Number one, the main observance of the mitzvah is not so much the content of the mitzvah. The main observance of a child's mitzvah is only to discipline the person. Because if you're going to take a 13-year-old and you're going to one, two, three, load them up with 613 commandments in one shot to a person that hasn't had any training at all, to an animal soul, because a human being, has a, it says in the, in the Pasuk that a human being is created like a wild donkey. And you leave him to his own devices, that little wild donkey becomes, becomes a super mega big wild donkey. And it just wants to do whatever it likes to do. It doesn't, it will not... It will not take the restrictions and everything else that is required to be able to live a Torah life. So you need to practice, you need to break them in. The main Indian of Chinuch is the breaking in the animalistic element of the human being to be restrained. That's why you look in Shulchan Aruch, you say the main mitzvah of Chinuch is in the prohibitive commandments, not so much in the positive commandments. Because the main idea of Chinuch is not so much the godly connection, the main idea of the chinuch is, I need to train you so that when you're ready to start, when the power is switched on, and you're given the dials, and you're given that, the, 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 the motor, you're, you're put in the driver's seat, and you're going to be driving the cosmos, you should know what to do, and you shouldn't let, allow your animal nature to take over, you'll crash the world. In order that that shouldn't happen, I need to train you in earlier. That's the idea of chinuch. It's for that reason, so again, what's, what, what's the difference? A mitzvah of an adult is the mitzvah, the content of the mitzvah, whatever the godliness of the mitzvah is. The mitzvah of the child is primarily to prevent the unhealthy na- natures of the person that will get in the way of the person observing the mitzvah when they get older. So it's more preventive than it is the content of what the mitzvahs are about. That's number one. Number two, we find another idea, interesting about children's mitzvahs, is Rambam says that when you educate children, you educate them for ulterior motives. Children don't have to do mitzvahs for the right reasons. You can educate children to do things because they're scared. Rambam says the the teacher has to scare the children a little bit. They used to have a stick in the classroom, the teacher would give them a little patches. And that's the way the education worked for so many years. Today it's not that way, but my mom says at least for all the time it was. In addition to that, you can give them a lot of candy, you can give them lots of other prizes in order to get them to do things. Or even when they're getting a little older, you can promise them the world to come and all kinds of other good stuff. But not to do them, you don't have to in any way tell children to observe things just because that's the right thing to do. However, an adult should do mitzvahs for no other reason but for the fact that this is Hashem's mitzvah. Not to get olam haba, not to get candies, and not to become rich. You're doing mitzvahs because this is what God wants you to do. So that's the difference in chinuch mitzvahs and in adult mitzvahs. Now let's take a look, and let's take a look at Noah's observance. All three accomplishments of Noah, and we're going to see that in all aspects of what Noah did, 
they all were done with these two things. Number one, they were mainly preventive. Not so much positive element to it. Mainly to prevent negativity. And number two, there can be ulterior motive to them. Let's start with Noah being very strong. What did we say? Let's put Noah and Avram Avinu together. In the idea of Noah having the strength to stand up against the whole world. So first of all, Noah's strength to stand up against the world was to stand up against human corruption. The whole world was corrupt. It wasn't so much a matter of religiosity. It wasn't so much a matter of faith. The corruption of that generation was not in, in aspects of faith, even though they, were full, they did serve idols, but that wasn't their big problem. They were just simply awfully corrupted in every aspect. They, they, they committed adultery, they committed uh, robbery and thievery, and, and, and they did whatever they wanted. The stronger, the mightier, uh, took advantage of all the weak. There was murder, there was, I mean, every horrible thing that was going on, people did in terms of their relationships, they, they just did physical relationships, they grabbed whoever they wanted because they were stronger, and so on and so forth. The world was a horrible, corrupt place. What was Noah's tzaddikin? What was his righteousness? His righteousness was he did not go along with them. He was a good person. So again, this that he stood on the other side against everybody else wasn't so much the content, a connection to a creator. It wasn't about a connection to the creator. It was about what? Not being corrupted like the rest of the world is corrupt. Not allowing the world to denigrate and be destroyed to become... right. He stood against, with them. and by the way, most mitzvahs that are between a person and their fellow are mainly meant to be about the, 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 the civilization of the world. Not about the godly connection, but about the civilization of the world. I'm, I'm just going to say something parenthetically. Of course, that's not the complete content of it. There is a godly element to them as well. And even when we commit the command, even though when we observe the commandment to not murder someone, it's supposed to be for the, for the godly element, not just because it's not nice. But still, the primary elements of these mitzvahs, at least on the simple level, is to allow for the world to be civilized. Another thing, what was Noah's motivation not to go with the flow and become corrupted like everybody else? What was his most motivation? What was his inspiration? His inspiration was that he was scared. He was scared of punishment. Like we find, first of all, when he warned his message, see, whatever you are, that's your message to other people. People that are always scaring everybody else with punishments, it's because their whole service to God is also because they're scared of punishments. The Balshemtov, whose message was full of love, is because he loved God. So when you're hearing a rabbi who's always talking about love and good things, you know because that person loves Hashem. If you're hearing someone who's always fire and brimstone about all kinds of negative things. So Noah, the reason, what was he telling the people in his generation? His message the whole time was, God is going to bring a flood. He told me, a flood is coming. You're all going to die. And in a sense, he also served Hashem that way. Because you see that he was scared of a punishment. He didn't even enter the ark until he was forced. When the flood waters were getting high, he went into the ark. He was scared of drowning. He went into the ark. So in a sense, Noah has ulterior motive in his being strong. But when you look at Avram Avinu, two things. Number one, when he's standing up against the whole world, it's regards to what? It's not in regards to just being a mensch. 
to being a good person. It's in regards to being in a relationship with a creator, to being connected to God. It's a matter of faith. The whole world were apostates, or the whole world were pagans, and he worshipped Hashem. And another reason, he didn't do it for his own self-preservation. Quite on the contrary, being on God's team always meant that seemingly at least, that he was going to lose everything he owns. He was going to lose his prestige, he was going to lose his money, he was going to lose his wife, he was going to lose his child, he was going to lose his life. He had to sacrifice everything. So it wasn't because he expected some, some personal gain. Rambam says about Avram Avinu that he is the example of He does the truth because it's true. Again, the reason is because Avram is not practice. Avram is already maturity. Noach is education, chinuch. Noach is an amateur. Children, children serve for ulterior motive. Children's service is mainly preventive for negative things. It's not really about the content of what it's supposed to be. Next accomplishment, what else did Noach accomplish? Let's do this quickly. Noach did what? Noach, we said, influenced the world. He brought stability to the world because God promised he will, he will never destroy the world. Good! Noah's stability to the world but was in regards to what? Noah's stability was in regards to what? One thing, that God is not going to destroy the world or disrupt the flow of nature. So it was mainly to prevent negativity. Noah's um, contribution or stabilizing of the world wasn't giving a positive stabilization to the world. What did Moshe Rabbeinu do when Moshe Rabbeinu brought stability to the world? He gave the world a positive identity. The world is here to serve the Jewish people in their Torah and in their mitzvahs. That's a positive content. It's not only a stability against destruction. It's not only an anti-venom, an anti-destruction that he put into the world. He put something positive into creation. Last, Noach and David HaMelech. We said before, Noach also created this magical kingdom in the Teva, where everybody is living in divine consciousness, where all the animals are getting along with each other. So beautifully, it's messianic. It's beautiful. There's like the, 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 the idea of Hashem's Malchus is so pronounced in the Teva. Isn't that the ultimate elevation? No, for a very simple reason. Again, it, it had a purpose other than that state. The purpose of the animals getting along together with each other was not for that state itself, that that's the way things are. It was so that the world can survive and we can repopulate the world after the Babel. And the only way to do that, the only way to do that in a small teva is to kind of suspend the nature of the animals temporarily, put them into a futuristic state, into a higher state of godly consciousness, for what? Give them a preview of Mashiach, just so they can live there, so that they can survive these 12 months in such a small little area where, in, where naturally they would, they, would, they, they, would, they, they would be full of aggression and, predat and predatory, whatever, and they would kill each other and eat each other alive. So in order to prevent that, there needed to be this state. So again, why did this state exist? For an ulterior motive. For what? To put the world back later to its regular state. But when David HaMelech introduces Malchus, the purpose is to begin God's kingdom in the world, to actually transform the world permanently. 
That's why David HaMelech builds a base of Migdash. And what happens in the base of Migdash? There are 10 miracles occurring in the base of Migdash. People that are coming to the base of Migdash can observe these miracles, can see, can become godly infused. And, that, and then ultimately, as we said earlier, all the nations of the world and all the animals are going to live that way in godly consciousness. And that itself is the purpose. Not so that we can survive temporarily and go back to everyday regular living. So you see from all of this that Noah, with all of his accomplishments, was amateur. It was a prelude. It was a chinuch. It was a practice. It was a necessary practice because just like you can't go into adulthood and start living your life in the right way unless you have an education. So Noah was the education. And just to conclude, just to conclude, one last and most important idea is that the difference in the attitude of the way Noah did his service and the way Avram, Moshe, and David did his service is one idea. Is that Noah never transcended his humanity. In other words, everything that he did in terms of world improvement, even in terms of world elevation, or especially his first thing, that Noah stood strong, stood his ground, and was not a pushover, and remained connected, and did what he needed to do, it was all based on his understanding and his appreciation of God from his mind, as he perceived God as the source of creation. So it was all a human endeavor. The greatness of Avram and the greatness of David the Melech and the greatness of Avram Avinu is that their observance, their moving of the world was a godly entity. It wasn't a human achievement. In other, and, and you see that from the fact that I said earlier that Avram wore the crown, wore the crown of Kahuna. Moshe wore the crown of Torah. And David wore the crown of kingdom. What's unique about a crown? What makes a crown special? A crown has two, con two opposite features to it. On the one hand, the crown is not part of you. It's actually above you. It's above your entire existence. It's above your head. So a crown represents that which is beyond a human being's scope of knowledge, understanding, and connection. A crown represents something that's infinitely above you. But on the other hand, where does the clown sit? It sits on your head, attached to your head. The person that wears the crown becomes elevated by that crown. It's almost like this person himself becomes crowned by the crown. They are crowned by the crown. So what does that mean? That this godly, higher, transcendental, beyond human experience becomes who you are is assimilated into you as you are a human. Translate that into simple English, it means, translate into simple English, it means like this. Um, when you are serving and your entire basis of your service is your own mind, your own understanding, and your own, uh, 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 your own even if it's your own um, um, idealism for a perfect world and for a great thing, it always remains within the limitations of human accomplishments and human achievements and it will always you'll always put yourself first because it's based on you and there's no true transcendence that's why as we said before Noah couldn't have Mesir Nefesh. Noah's service was always about I'm preserving myself because he capped his he was capped by his own limitations Avram, Noah and Moshe made see Avram even though Avram also discovered God through his own reasoning and thinking but there's a certain point where God reveals himself to Avram. 
And now Avram is infused by divine revelation. Moshe Rabbeinu gives us a Torah coming to, us, coming to him directly by God. David HaMelech is king because he's God's appointed king. So everything that's happening is divine. So what's the problem with Noah? He's a wonderful, wonderful mensch. He's good. He's good on all levels of humanity. He's a perfect, he's a wonderful human. But he's humanly good, not godly good. And we ought to be, and we are given, we're children of Avram, and coming after Moshe Rabbeinu and after David HaMelech, we are expected to be not humanly good, we're expected to be godly good. We're not just expected to be a mensch, to be a really good mensch, and really, we live in a complete higher, godlier state. And that's the lesson out of all of this, that as we're starting the year this year, and we're thinking what's going to be different, I want to, I want to suggest something. Instead of looking for just another thing you're going to add in your Yiddishkeit, maybe perhaps it's an attitude that, needs, that, that we should change, not an actual addition in doing more. You can do more as well, but how about upgrading the motivation? Which means that one's drive in our Yiddishkeit should, should have and include in everything the thought that what I am doing it, I am doing as a emissary of Hashem in this world because God is commanding me. Then everything you're doing is empowered by an infinite, endless, and boundless power. It's not, it doesn't remain, as we said before, just a human act. It's a godly act. It's an Avram Noach, it's an Avram Moshe and David HaMelech act. It's an Adam act, the ultimate Adam representing God. As opposed to a Noach act, which is great and wonderful, but it's lacking the crown. It doesn't have that crown element, that transcendent element, that infinite element, that endless and powerful thing. So just a little thought, a little adjustment, a little orientation to think about right now and to try to implement this week. All of our doings are because I am commanded to do so. And I'm doing so. And that, that makes all the difference. Because when you're operating from a force beyond your mind, beyond your reasoning, beyond our understanding, and doing things to facilitate God's plan and God's desire, then you are a channel, channeling infinite energy and infinite power. And that takes us into the ultimate lech lecha of Avram Avinu. You go totally beyond all the limitations and all the boundaries. And we ultimately achieve and accomplish the ultimate accomplishment to harness, to unify, to bring all of existence, to reveal their true inherent nature. And that is that all of existence, everybody, all 8 billion people and all of, all of humanity and all of the animal world and all of the plant life and all of the inanimate including all of the universe is all an expression of God's kingship and therefore everything is godly and everything is eternal may we merit to see that in the coming of Mashiach now I'm 
מוצא כל מה שיוסוף מוישה, עושה דהובים.